Thanks for listening. This is Momentum, the entrepreneurship podcast for photographers. I'm your host, Nate Grahek, portrait photographer and entrepreneur. Join me each week as I interview the most successful and inspiring photographers in our industry. We bring you innovative and proven business strategies you can use to shift the momentum in your own photography business, giving you the freedom to do more of what you love in business and in life. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. I've got a really special episode. We have Doug Whitenhiller of Twig and Olive uh, photography out of Madison, Wisconsin. Hello. Uh, hi, Doug. Thank you so much for being on the call today. Um, I'm really excited. There's so much value packed into this call. We're going to talk about a workflow, how, how Doug has worked, has kind of combined forces. He's got, they now have four people on their team. They offer uh, anywhere family portraits to newborn to weddings and one of the, the we're going to talk about the trifecta he has for running is addressing making sure you're running a smooth business, delivering an amazing customer experience, and of course, uh, delivering beautiful images. But we're also going to talk about some specific marketing tactics that you can um, learn from. Uh, amazingly, Doug is getting great results on Facebook, so you guys know I love talking about Facebook. And then finally, one of my favorite uh, part uh, marketing tactics is building partnerships with local vendors and small businesses. And in Doug words, actually following through on the commitments. So welcome to today's show, Doug. I appreciate you being well, thank here. Thank you very much. I appreciate being here. And thank you. Uh, thank you for having us. Uh, awesome. So let's let's jump in. Let's let for people who don't know you yet, give us the quick like three minute high level on how Twig and Olive came to be. Um, I get three minutes for that. That's fair. Um, Twig and Olive is a actually fairly new company. We came into existence by 2015, merging two companies together. My wife Courtney and I had a business. It used to be called Blue Dandelion here in town, and Bobby, our business partner, had a business called Salty Peanut Photography. And we kind of knew of each other's existence, but we, you know, it was just like another local photographer in town. Um, we actually met in person at a workshop in Texas, of all places, and kind of just talked. And we're like, hey, it'd be kind of neat to, you know, we kind of have some similar goals and minds for our business. Let's let's get together and network. And so we did one of those things that we actually encourage all photographers to do now, which is just network, reach out. It's a lonely business that we're in. Talk to other people. And, and we did. And we kind of worked alongside by uh, each other and doing some editing things. And, and long story short, one thing led to another. We're like, hey, we're kind of doing the same things now. Wouldn't it be great if we had one company without all this overhead, you know, cut your overhead in half? And we're like, yeah, that would be kind of cool. But that's a big, scary thing. Um, I know one of the yeah. things that, that Bobby's going to be doing this year is she's actually writing a whole blog on um, a how-to of mentoring, if you will, like um, – and, and and talking about all the things that we needed to do in terms of legal and in terms of money, in terms of time and all that separation. And and we've worked with people who have done men, uh, merging and it's, it's, it's a tricky, scary venture. You've got to have the ingredients. Like you, you are not going to, to take crap ingredients and make a cake out of it if it doesn't work. So, so we merged our business. I feel like we could, we could do a whole episode on just a partnership. <laughs> That's a pretty special thing. It, a, business partnerships are like more delicate than marriages, in my oh, opinion. Oh, and we joke about it all the time. We're like, it would yeah. be easier to get a divorce than it would be to break up this business. Like, it, exactly, it is. They're very delicate things. Once, but it's so it's so integrated right now. So it, we 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 did it because we had very different specialties, like different things that we were good at. Like we're all good photographers, but Bobby was really good at branding and marketing and business sides of things. Courtney was Court was really excellent at um, editing and uh, product recognition and um, being able to produce things from a thematic standpoint. I was really good from a tech background and being yeah. able to 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 look at things from a systematic approach. You know, so we all were had, you guys both full time in your businesses yes. yep. separately yep. already? Yep. yep, we both have okay. full time business prior to that. So that's also what made yep. it really great. And when right. we merged, it was, you know, it took a, a little bit of like uncomfortable, like we had to like learn each other a little bit. There were some good times, there were some bad times, but definitely now we've kind of understood each other. We know our strengths, we know our limitations. And as a result, we can kind of share workloads. It, it, it What it is now is, is it's finally where we always wanted our business to be in the sense that 
we have a true business model. We have we're we're integrated into the systems, you know, with the other local vendors and with other uh, marketing tools that we want. We have a cohesive brand. It just we have enough people to do it. So those are the three the the, the owners behind Twig and Olives, myself, Courtney, and Bobby. We actually have Darcy as well, who is our brand manager. She's basically our everything. Um, <laughs> she makes sure that the business actually works <laughs> by taking care of all the behind the scenes things, um, and and she's absolutely essential. So so, but that's our team. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on, on your success. Um, and, and, and seeing that as an opportunity, I know that, um, on the surface, sometimes there's these like, like, like partnerships can seem like a no brainer, but there's a lot of, uh, of due diligence. Uh, you've got to make sure, I think what I, some of the things I'm hearing is the complementary skill sets mm-hmm. and, uh, and specialties is, is vital to growing a healthy team. So that, that's awesome. Um, so let's, let's talk, jump in to some of the meat and potatoes today. Um, one of the things that caught my attention in the, in the pre-call, um, is you, you said you have this trifecta, this approach to running the business now where, where you, three key things need to be working, an efficient workflow running the business, not, not delivering a good customer support, but a, a, a world-class customer experience and then finally delivering uh, beautiful images. Mm-hmm. Um, let's jump in to the first piece is just the workflow. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you said you're able to do now is cull a wedding mm-hmm. same day in 30 minutes. Now that is exceptional. <laughs> How the heck did you get to that point? Well, in all fairness, that did not happen like um, – that did not happen instantaneously. It, it took a while to figure out what it is that um, we wanted out of a wedding. So everything that you do for a business, if you, and I'm going to back up just a second in, in terms of answering your questions in terms of the trifecta. We talk about the trifecta being um, running a successful business and having all of your business workload, like you mentioned, and then also having that great client experience. And then on top of that, creating a product. They actually aren't three independent things. They're, if, if we can get really dorky about it, it's like yeah. a giant Venn diagram and they all interplay with each other. Oh, well said. So because of that, everything that we do for a business in terms of its workflow affects what the product's going to look like. Things that we do for the product is going to affect what the customer is going to experience in terms of what they're going to visualize. And I think what I, what I see continuously that a lot of people get wrong is they think that they're just such independent um, parts. Like I need to have pretty pictures. I need to have customer, you know, I need to have a customer service department. Well, I don't think you need to have a customer service department. I think you need to have a customer experience because really customer experience is uh, something that you want to do first. Customer customer support, customer service, that's that's for when things go wrong. And the, the idea is, is that you want to have a customer experience uh, before they get that right. Yep. And you don't need customer support. Yep. I love that. Yep. yep. And and so, so all of these things kind of interplay. So specific then to uh, being able to call a wedding when when we craft a wedding narrative and and that's what we call it i i really obsess about this idea of of shooting a narrative not telling a story i think a a, a narrative to me is something grander i know exactly what it is that i want i know what i want for every wedding and there is a tremendous amount of of and internally we call it programming our clients i don't think that's something i'd ever say to my client i'm like i'm going to program you for this wedding but like <laughs> internally it's like i'm programming my clients like what do i need to do for them what do, what can they do so that we can be successful at their wedding and i think that's such a total different view of of weddings where so many photographers are like i'm just going to show up and do what you tell me to or you need to tell me what to do for your wedding or tell me your times we're actively engaged in the wedding planning process we're actively engaged in creating um the the schedule like huge like we'll yeah. work right alongside the bride or and or wedding planner to like this no like this is what we need to do for you guys to have a great experience so we can do our job now that all feeds into the customer experience but because of that customer experience we're not going into weddings and and struggling to like okay i now need your shoes like i'm not bothering my bride on her wedding day and saying like Okay, I need you to find your wedding dress and oh, do you have a cute hanger by chance? We've done all of that in advance. We she has a box, wow. we call it the twig box, where she has all of her details that I want to photograph. I walk into her getting ready room, it's ready to go. Pick up the box, shoot and go. That's less time that I'm going to be focusing on tracking this stuff down, more time on being able to shoot my narrative, more time that I can focus on my want. And that's one example Nate of like probably 30 things that we yeah, throughout the entire I love wedding. It. 
I love that you, I asked about how do you call a wedding in 30 minutes and look at how far back yeah. in the workflow you had to go to answer that question. Yeah. That's really telling. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. And that's, and, and that's really the answer behind it is, is because of all this preloading work. Then when I get to the wedding, I'm able to shoot what it is that I need. I'm not shotgunning. And like, I think one of the more um, dubious phrases in, in wedding industry um, introduced by somebody was spray and pray. You're right. not in heaven. No, it's I'm shooting what I want specifically. I'm taking a couple of extra shots for like family pictures or motions to avoid blinking. Uh, blinking. But aside from that, I'm getting everything that I want. So when I bring onto my computer, I have one camera that I primarily shoot on or pretty much only one um, that I'll be shooting on through the day. I'm going to load in a, a thousand, maybe 1200 pictures onto my computer from the entire wedding day that I shot. Now I've only got 1200 images to call. I can call that and I use photo mechanic because I'm calling um, in rather than calling out, which is tremendously faster. I'm just tag, tag, tagging the images. Oh, that I want. Yeah. And I'm not deleting the, because I'm going to delete more than I'm going to keep. My call rate uh, consistently is 40%. I it just without, without waverance, I'm at 40%. Um, so that means so that's, that's just so I'm, I'm, this is good for me, just my own calling of family pictures. Mm -hmm. So I love, there's a couple of things I want to pull apart because I've never heard this. Maybe I'm just rookie. But it clicked as soon as you said it. Mm -hmm. You're calling in, not calling out. Yep. So there's there's just some um, a mindset shift. Mm -hmm. It is that's like, and it, I think a lot of it is based on fear. There's a lot of times I, I talk about fear as we're just getting started as photographers. We're we're afraid to reach out. We're afraid to take ownership and that our business is our our product is worth something. Yeah. We're afraid to have the difficult conversations with with potential people in our in our mm -hmm. city. Mm -hmm. We're afraid to like name our prices to clients. All of this oh, fear, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. And it comes now. It even comes back to culling. We're like, I'm afraid. I might miss something. So I'm going to, I'm going to assume I'll start with all of the pictures. Okay. Now I've got to then cull everything out. It's way more work and it starts from a different mindset. You're, you're saying, Nope, I, I'm confident that I've got the narrative that I want. And so I'm going to start and I'm only going to tag and choose the ones that I know fit this narrative. And you, when you say 40%, that means 40% get tagged in. Yes. Yep. So you're using 40% of the images that you took. Yeah. Out so of if I shoot a thousand pictures awesome. at a wedding that I'm delivering 400 to my clients. Sweet. And, and okay. I think that young photographers get obsessed about this idea about more is more and it's not less is more. If I, if 400 images yeah. tell that narrative and over eight hours, that's almost a, a, an image a minute. That's what tells the narrative. I'm not going to try and impress my clients by delivering more. Um, I think you're doing a disservice to giving your clients a thousand images that they have to sort right. through. And one of the biggest fallacies is people are like, Oh, I just don't know which one to keep between these two. If they're nearly identical and you're struggling, pick one and move on. The, totally. the, the difference is so negligible and getting into the mindset of not what I think the client might like, but what I like. And when we're delivering it, it's because people hired us as the consummate professional to have a brand and to look. I need to be that consummate professional to pick that image that fits within that brand. And I have to be confident of that. And it's different than saying, I'm cocky, I'm arrogant, I'm the best. It's no, I'm, I'm doing my job as to how I think. And they've hired me to do this to get those images. When you're in that mindset, you can call quicker. You can be like, that's the one I'm picking. That's the one I'm doing. Now this wedding I've called in 20, 30 minutes and it's ready to go into editing. And, and it's just just that's and that's that that mantra of what it is for me for my brand that they hired me to do that that continues down channel in terms of editing in terms of uploads in terms of delivery and everything else in terms of marketing it, it's all what I want that people have and it's it's just it's such a it, it's a different model and a different view and confidence to do that I love it um, when just out of curiosity you you guys do your own editing still. Does one person on the team handle most of it? One person on the team handles all of it. That's actually Courtney. Got it. And so I think that's, that's, that makes a lot of sense. So that may, that, that way you maintain a, a, like a consistent look and feel, but you also mentioned that you tried delegating some of the culling, mm -hmm. but that didn't work. So it's you're, what you're doing from a cull, the person who shoots, mm -hmm. they do their own culling because yeah. you've got any, and, and you, you save tremendous amount of time by culling as soon as possible. Talk yeah. about that. Yeah. So, so we definitely, um, made some mistakes in the past about, and this was just when we were filling out each other as to how we were going to work, we thought, Oh, it'd be great if we had division of labor. One person calls, one person edits, one person uploads, blah, blah, blah. And it was getting to this idea of being the idealized Henry model kind of, you know, assembly yeah, right. line model of photography. Yeah. 
And we found <laughs> out that on some parts of that, it worked and some parts it didn't. And what we were missing by having one person calling everything is you totally lost the at client, the, the at session experience or the at wedding experience. Um, knowing what's going on there, knowing each one of us, when we, we shoot a wedding, we really as individuals get to intimately know our wedding clients and, and to, to some extent also too for our family clients, especially when we're shooting, we know what happens. We know what best tells that narrative, what was in our mind. So the call is the most important part as far as telling the narrative. The editing then, what was best for that is the editing could be all done by one person because we want that to be as cohesive as possible. And so because one person's lens is taking that on um, – it, it assures that we're going to get that continued look. And that's really huge about getting a consistent look and a consistent brand. Um, the other part of it is, is, is Courtney's just a, a god of editing and, and that we just can't deny that nobody, nobody else at the studio could even come close to, to what she's doing. But that's so cool. Yeah. And so she was able to kind of, to take on that role to be able to, to take that look. But yeah, we all, we all call, we all edit or she all edits. She, yeah, she edits everything. The one thing that we do additional for our wedding clients just because wedding clients get so many more images than our portrait clients and because the idea of a narrative is is more integral to a a wedding client because obviously it's over a longer period of time eight hours for wedding versus like an hour for a portrait session um we actually do one further step uh and we all the files come back so once courts is done with them and edited part of our workflow is it comes back to me and i finalize and the reason we finalize and what i'm doing is i'm literally going through everything and this is my technical background i'm making sure that everything is perfectly straight i'm making sure that frame are consistent and make perfect sense. I'm making sure it's just one more set of lenses to look at the wedding to make sure that it it really does cohesively tell a story. And it's not uncommon wow. that you know if if one of us calls a wedding that uh, courts gets it into into a Lightroom that she's like you know what I I a couple of these images just aren't going to edit well and and I'm going to I'm going to call those out even further. And it's not uncommon again for when it comes back to me that when I'm assembling everything and putting everything back together and the narrative that we want to tell this this very specific sequence that tells a beginning and a middle and an end that I'll call out some more that I'm like, you know, if we have a second shooter and it's like, Hey, it's the same image, but from a slightly different angle, I'm not going to keep that. It doesn't add to the experience of what they're, when they're going through and looking at everything. So it, right. it's definitely um, a role that got crafted. And if I'm a young photographer, if I'm listening to this podcast right now, or even if I've been doing this for a while, or I'm in a studio of one person and you're thinking, how can I go ahead and integrate this into what I'm doing? I definitely would encourage everybody to um, pretend that you're multiple people. Because when you're calling, you're in a different brain than when you're editing and you're different brain as when you're uploading and finalizing mm-hmm. things. And so to totally. all that roll out, a lot of photographers are like, hey, I'm just going to dump all my files that I got to my Lightroom and start calling and editing one by one. And that's absolutely the wrong approach. We recommend instead that you keep your, your, your files stored on a separate drive, your file server, your external backup, obviously backed up multiple times. And when it comes time to edit, load those onto your local computer and call and maybe call like, you know, three portrait sessions and like, Hey, maybe that takes you a long time in the beginning. That's it. That's done. Now the next day come back and, or the next time that you're going to sit down, you know, it's later that day or whatever, then edit those sessions and then be done. Like don't, Try and do everything at once. And then after that, when it's done, then go and do your uploads. Try and be systematic about it. Pretend that you're, you're multiple people trying to go through a workflow and break those jobs up. You really will create a more consistent product and you will get better at it over time. That's really cool advice. I've never heard that before, but I think we, especially as small businesses, we've got to be conscious of we, if we're just getting started. And even, even when you guys are a team of four, you still have to wear different hats. And I think it's really smart. It's a smart mental hack to, to think about, okay, what, what's the primary goal? What's the, what is the role I'm in right now? Do I, should I be CEO brain or should I be doer brain? Should I be culling, culling hat or editing hat mm-hmm. or sales hat or marketing hat? That's really cool. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's jump into, um, I think you had a, an ex, a customer experience story where to share where somebody wasn't happy with so, their, <laughs> so is there a good story to share there so it's it, it's a good story in the in the learning experience behind it bobby and i were laughing when we when you sent us our questions initially Nate, and we were like hey these are the things i want you to think about and you're like share a positive story and talk about like something that you were really memorable about and like 
And, and we really latched onto the word memorable in terms of, of particular client experiences. And it, and, and, and honestly, negative experiences are the most memorable. I don't think a lot of photographers, uh, are, are happy or willing or, or even able to talk about client by bad client experiences. And I, and I know that because, you know, when you read in workshop groups, our workshop group, other people you hear online, like more often than not, when you have a client that is giving you a hard time, our immediate reaction, we go into protect mode and we're like, oh, well, she's just batshit crazy and whatever is that I have a crazy bride, bridezilla, right? The, the, the word bridezilla came out of a scenario of like this um, bride that just can't be handled. And I understand that that, that person exists. That's a personality thing, but I, I really don't think that bridezilla-ism is as prevalent as people think. I mean, it is rare for us to have a client that, that we have, um, we're kind of like, huh, that's, that's unexpected, uh, to kind of come up prior to a wedding day. It just, it doesn't occur because I think part of it is management. And I think because part of it is, is that we attract a certain client. So when we took a very politician's approach to your question, we're like, huh, well, we could talk about this client that loved us and how happy they were and love and dove and all this kind of stuff. But I mean, the, the, the short answer to that is, is that is most of our clients. Most of our clients come back. They, they're very happy with what they've got for their pictures. They return to us year over year. That's not what impacts us. I mean, that obviously drives us to want to continue to be of that service. What impacts us is the unhappy customer. And, uh, it happens to everybody. There's not a single person out there. There's not a single photographer. I don't care how big or small you are. Everybody has had a negative client experience. Um, it's how you deal with that that I think is going to show your true colors, your growth, your personality, your business savvy, a lot of things. Um, I think that internally um and as i mentioned before when you get that negative experience it's kind of like that first gut reaction it's like oh what's wrong with this person but it's it's just not our reaction our reaction is oh okay let's not blame this person they're upset let's validate them for being upset i can't I can't tell a person how to feel. I can't tell a person how to behave. We're adults. They have their emotion about their reaction to this experience. I can't change that. But what I can try and do is I can try and figure out why. So immediately the dialogue begins. Okay, what happened and what did we do wrong that we can do better next time? There's a particular, um, I can think of last year of client complaints that we had about sessions and, and we shoot a lot of portrait sessions. We shoot a lot of weddings. It would take, I could count on less than one hand, the number of, of clients that were unhappy last year. It will happen. It will happen. If, right. he, if right. we can get a 99% satisfaction rating, I'm very happy with that, but it will right. happen that you will have upset clients. This particular client in particular um, that I'm thinking about when it popped into my head, it's just because it was recent and it was one of those conversations that we had were like, what happened? So she wasn't happy with the way that the pictures turned out for her portrait session. So we went online and we looked and we, or we went onto our gallery and we looked and we're like, Hmm, at first glance, we're like, Nope, that's on brand. So, okay. Is she crazy? We could have left it at that, but we, we did our due diligence and we, and we dug a little deeper and we're like, no, I need to hear from you a little bit more. Let's have a conversation. We're still doing this over text. And she kind of told us what she didn't like about the pictures and what it was. And part of it was that, um, she, we, we looked at kind of what her complaints were. And, and usually when people complain, if they're unhappy about something, they'll, they're really unhappy about one or maybe two things, but there's the other little things that are like insignificant, but they're like, I'm just going to throw this in there. And it's kind of like a piling on effect. Right. And, and again, it's kind of like, Oh God, did we do this huge disservice? But no, again, we went back and we looked at the individual things that they were upset about and we started teasing them apart and we started looking at, okay, are we these huge, you know, screw ups? Did we really, you know, screw up our session or is there something on there? And what we discovered, uh, for this client and, and usually almost always we discover is it's, it's really one particular thing that, that kind of like set them off. And, and, and again, in this case, we said, Hmm, are they right? Can we accept it? Or are they crazy? And we've never come back to a situation where we're like, yeah, they're just absolutely crazy individuals there. We've come back to it and we're like, maybe we could have done that better. And the internal dialogue, then we, we kind of get together as a team and we talk about it, like what, what needed to happen here. And so whenever you get a situation like that, um, we, they always talk, there's some rule on it. Maybe you may know the metric better. It's like every negative comment you get takes 50 comments to like balance it out or some, there's some number out there in, yeah. in psychology. 
Um, and, 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 and so these are so impactful and so, um, so meaningful for us where it's like, you know what? They did have a legitimate complaint. We did not hold up our end of the bargain on, on, on what we state that we're going to do for our experience. And it could be something really insignificant. It could be that, um, our email software, you know, didn't send them, uh, one of the questionnaires, or it could be something that they wanted a floral or they were pictures with floral crowns and they didn't request that. And we did it anyway. Um, it could be something that, um, um, with this one, with this this specific story, what? How did you resolve it? So, so exactly. So, when we kind of talked about um, what it was that bothered her, we're like, you know what? I hear what you're saying. We're talking. I'm like, I hear what you're saying, and I appreciate you telling me this. And it's and you have to come at it now, right now. The customer experience has failed. Now we got to come at it from customer service. I hear what you're saying, and you know what? You're not wrong in what you're saying. We appreciate that. We looked at that, and we stand behind our product. But I do see what you're saying about you know the headbands or whatever was was bothering you. Here's what I'm going to do. Um, I'd like to offer you a complimentary session to rehead to go ahead and photograph again. Now think about it from a money standpoint. I'm trying to create a customer experience. I've got to spend a little more time doing this session. Is that really a big deal in the grand scheme of things? And the grand answer to that is not. It's like, it's not drama in the end of the world that I have to shoot another session. Um, long story short to this particular client, they did not want to do a reshoot and we ended up just deciding, you know what? We were just not a good fit for each other. She hired us based on name and not really knowing what we do for our brand and what it right. is that we do for pictures. Right. So we look at the pictures and we're like, we're on brand. She hired us kind of on just a lark and it didn't work. And you're like, you know what? I can appreciate that we can go our separate ways. I'm sorry you weren't happy. We refunded her and we went on our merry days. I think there's so many things I want to pull apart there. One is just the approach you take. Um, I think it's counter to what we see a lot online. And mm -hmm. it's acknowledging two things, just the uh, emotional triggers, mm -hmm. how we can, when we are any human being is emotionally triggered we all seem crazy, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. We all are, the blood goes out of our big brain and goes into our small reptilian brain. Mm -hmm. And we're like, we're triggered. And I think the first thing you, we need to do as business owners, as a service provider is to just default to the customer. They say the customer is always right. There's parts of that that are true. Mm -hmm. And so you go, okay, yep. I'm really sorry about this. Um, let's, let's dig deeper. And the other point I thought was really valuable is how it's usually one thing. And what happens is when you put, when we put ourselves in the shoes of the customer, bringing up that something's not right, that's a hard thing to do. Yeah. Whether we like it or not, we have to accept that there is a percentage of clients that just aren't going to like, something isn't going to go wrong. Mm -hmm. And the worst thing, the thing that we should be most afraid of is the customers who aren't speaking up mm -hmm. because if they're not coming to you, guess who they're going to, right? That's the biggest thing we should be afraid of. So we making sure that your workflow and your process and your approach is safe and accepting and, 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 and able to receive feedback is tremendous in knowing that why, when, I think that the, there's so much wisdom in knowing that it's probably just one thing. And what happens is they need to build up the courage to complain, right? Yeah. We yeah. all do yeah. this. We all, we all need to kind of make our case in our head as we're going to complain to a company or to a service or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, even though the thing that triggered it, whether we're conscious or not, is probably this small little thing. But then we start piling on to validate this is worth the complaint, right? And once you put on the lens of maybe this isn't right, then you start seeing other things that you don't like and it starts to pile on. But we can diffuse it the same way by slowly acknowledging, okay, yep, I want to take accountability and responsibility for this. Let's dig in and figure out what we can do to make it better. Really, really cool story. I think that's important to admit that we learn as much from those lessons as as, as the, the wins. Oh, so, I think, I, I think even more, I mean, and I want to just course. expand on that too, is just, I think we even learn more from those, those fails. I and I, I always learn more from my fails than my successes. Um, I, I know, and I want to just expand. We, we actually took a workshop, um, ourselves, we, um, Rob Greer, who is like the SEO God of gods and somebody I recommend that people learn more about, uh, in terms of, of helping the site. He was one of those ones that kind of like, look, when we were, we were there, it was kind of like, how, how are you not more accessible for your reviews? For 
for example, we did not have reviews turned on on our Facebook page. And I understand why that exists. People do not want to open themselves up to criticism. Because of this particular case, um, and, 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 and just in, kind of in general, it, it turned us on to this idea of, you know what? We have to have online reviews, and there are going to be some people out there that are going to leave reviews that may not be glowing favorable and, like, pat our egos and make us feel great. Number one, that's going to make us grow and understand what it is that we need to do to be better. And number two, it makes us and kind of proves that we're real people that are accessible that, like, you know what? Um, it's it's not all, like, unicorns and roses all the times. So we need to get that criticism. And 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 finally and, and importantly, realizing that they do not – hate us, that they are not personally attacking us as people, that it's something much beyond that. And I think when we're so integrated into our businesses, especially as sole proprietors or single business owners, that an attack on the business is an attack on the person. You have to differentiate that. you got to differentiate your business, everything, your finances, but especially the criticisms. It's not an attack on you. It's an attack or, or really just a criticism on on what your business is and, and taking it in that approach allows you to compartmentalize and say, all right, now what can the business do better? I love it. Oh, so well said. There's so much good stuff in there. All right, let's wrap up with my favorite topic is marketing mm -hmm. tactics. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so uh, in a nutshell, would so some of my advice to photographers who are just getting started, yeah. I want, I've, I've learned that I want to caveat Facebook, um, Facebook advertising, because... Facebook will take all of your money and give you nothing in return if you're not careful. Mm -hmm. um, so for so I think that let's use this tip, um, boosting posts and using Facebook to get to book clients with the caveat that like, what are the lessons you've learned? And would you recommend that newer photographers even bother with Facebook right now? Or would you save it for a more um, experienced photographer or studio? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's one of these questions that in our education series too comes up constantly. And, um, the unfortunateness of it is that the more, the bigger your Facebook, the bigger your social media reaches, the better Facebook works. If I have a hundred followers on Facebook, it's going to be tougher for me to reach out because, um, there's just not that social media connection yet. Uh, that being said, uh, I agree with you 100% that I think all Facebook advertising has to be addressed with kind of a, a little asterisk, a little caveat. Um, if, if I can be really frank about it for a second, I think that Facebook is probably the world's like most successful drug dealer because they gave away their product for so long for so free and got everybody hooked and now they want to charge for it. Um, and, and they're doing the same thing to Instagram and we can, we can, we can choose to be mad about that. Or we can look at it from the other perspective. Look at it from Mark Zuckerberger's perspective. He's making a business. He's growing. He's wanting to expand his options. He's got this following. Now he wants to leverage it. Now he wants to make money. You can't blame Facebook for wanting to make money. You can't be mad at them for that. You can be mad at them for having a clunky interface. You can be mad at them for, for a variety of other reasons that are completely valid. But in terms of them wanting to make money, you cannot be upset about that. As far as using Facebook and boosting posts, they, they've done so much in the last six months for allowing you to really target and specifically target people within your boosted post or your ad streams. And there's different there's different sets of data out there too about what's better than not. Um, but even just simply the, the, the action of boosting posts can be so wonderful for connecting to people on your website, uh, or excuse me, uh, to connecting to people on your Facebook page, bringing them to your website, other calls to action, if you will. Um, that I'll give you one little important, I'll give you one huge tip. When we're, when we're targeting on Facebook, I am not targeting, for example, if it's a newborn, I'm not targeting newborns. I'm not targeting, um, the phrase like newborn photographers or newborn photography or babies or anything like that. That's never a word I use. I target things that people who have had babies are likely to be following, like something, uh, for example, like Gerber or something like, um, uh, Janie and Jack or some some baby related item or same thing's going to happen with families or weddings. I'm, weddings, I'm not going to target people who like weddings. People who like weddings are probably photographers, right. but people who like uh, Beholden, mm -hmm. they probably like Beholden because they're going to be getting into a wedding dress. I can target my, I can focus my targets much more specifically. So to answer your question, 
uh, as far as marketing, yeah, Facebook's a huge part of it. We do connect to people in the education industry who are also photographers, uh, but we also connect to potential clients. We make a post as to where we're going to be. We target to the region that we're going to be, um, and we can really reach a lot of people. If I was only in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, I could use the regional targeting, and I could scoop a ton of people right here in Madison, Wisconsin. Like, there's 300,000 people that live right in this area, and I could target specifically to them. If I'm in, you know, small town USA, and I only want to shoot my my portraits in there, yeah, you've got a small sample size, but I can target specific to that. Part of our success actually comes uh, from this understanding that we don't want to be just in Madison, Wisconsin. This actually comes uh, from a photographer that I, we, again, took a workshop, um, and uh, just listening to him speak about uh, how he wanted to shoot only 15 weddings a year, but being an, uh, in England, you know, that's a small sample of people to shoot, you know, high, you know, seven, eight thousand dollar weddings in, in just that area. And he realized I don't need to book, um, 15 people just in the UK. I need to book 15 people across the globe. And that mentality shift for us where it was like, hmm, you know what? In Wisconsin, we're really slow, uh, for portraits, January, February, March. Hey, maybe we can do those portraits elsewhere allowed us to expand our business. And it wow. did not take a day. Another really important tip as far as boosting posts or connecting to people or marketing that is that the first time we go into an area, like if we've never been to Arizona before, now we can say, hey, we're going to be in Arizona, you know, and this is a couple of years ago. We probably didn't get very many, if any, shoots. But if we're going to be there and I'm going to take pictures, now when I'm posting and targeting pictures in that area, I am going to show a picture of Arizona. And that's hugely, it's so impactful to actually have content related to the area to connect to people so that they can see themselves there. So it's being mindful about what you're posting in the region that you're going to and and or and and, and willing to do that. And I understand some people listening to your podcast right now are like, you know what? I, I work in small town USA and that's it and that's as far as I want to go. There is nothing wrong with that. But in that particular instance, um, Facebook marketing, marketing for you is probably not the right approach. Boots on the ground and and more uh, vendor connections is probably going to have much more impact. Yeah, I think that's really good advice, both for the, for rookies and for veterans of just ways to – I think in a nutshell, um, there's a lot of things that Facebook can do well when we accept that, that it's like a – that it's one of the most successful drug dealers. I like that analogy. <laughs> we, can, we can hate it or we can use it and work alongside of it as long as you're using its strengths. And the the first one is targeting. I think that um, if you don't have the the knowledge or the desire to learn it, um, then just don't 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 use don't boost a post and expect magic. You've right. got to dig into its its ability to target and and test. And experiment with what are the right um, audiences that you're going to be targeting, knowing that if you just let Facebook figure it out, it's just going to take your money. Yeah, and it really is. And you can't just post one post and like you're, you're exactly right. Expect it. We, we've our first few posts probably didn't go a whole lot, but we are routinely boosting posts. We are routinely, um, you know, uh, finding, um, exploring and kind of pushing it out there. But there is a huge portion of our marketing budget, like dollars that do go to Facebook. And we've just accepted. Yeah, I'm going to give Facebook money every year. And, and, but it works and I can, I can, you know, it's right. I think that's, that's a no brainer. People, I think photographers all over will, will, will invest into a strategy that as long as they can see the ROI, um, yes. and for the, for those that are just getting started, let's switch gears where I think this is actually, if you have to prior, I've been really reflecting on giving photographers the right roadmap and the right priority, um, of, of marketing tactics. And I think that we need to start with the things when, when you have a lot of money or you have money in the bank and you don't have time, that's when it's easier to invest in things mm -hmm. like Facebook, mm -hmm. right? Agreed. Because, Agreed. Okay, right. Where it, when you're just getting started, you've got a little bit more time and, mm -hmm. but you don't have quite as much money. Exactly. So, so then let's do the things that, that, that you have an advantage, right? That leverage that, that condition you're in Look at it as a positive and go, okay, I have a little bit more time to go out and hustle and get to know and build relationships with other small businesses in our community. Um, and when I build that foundation first and, I, and then you someday come back to Facebook, then your Facebook will be that much more successful because you have all of these uh, in-person connections established. 
we the, one of the things that we routinely talk about is how absolutely important that your website is your first priority. People are like social media, that's where it is, that's where everybody talks, but no, at the end of the day, your central piece of this hub and spoke model of who you are and 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 people see you are, your digital storefront is still and will remain your website. And if you do not have a competent compliant website, if you do not have one that meets Google standards, if you do not have one that, you know, is not running flash, if you don't have a good website Count yourself out. Um, social media is an extension of that. Your boots on the ground that you're doing in terms of marketing, that's an extension of that. Your website, we consider to be absolutely the, the central nexus hub of all of that and then, and then grow from there. That's cool. All right. So let's, let's wrap up with um, – let's, let's make this one for the, somebody who's just getting started. And sure. I, my, my mo- it's one of my most favorite things to talk about. So I love trying to find nuances to – how do you initiate a relationship right now? I'm sure you have a lot of, you're probably in like the mature stage, a lot of your partnerships. What are some of the tactics that have been uh, worthwhile in building um, and initiating those relationships with potential small businesses in your community? So you're talking specifically too to the idea of like other vendors or just not clients now, but just business. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. How do so you get I your can- foot in the door when you're, when you're new? Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, it still like blows my mind that people think that, that, um, uh, that you can't literally go into a business and like make in-face connections. I think that social media and just sitting behind our computer has so desensitized us to like client communications that we're like almost unable to talk to people in person. And yet that's still the most fundamental thing that you can do. Uh, perfect example. Um, when we started out doing, and we were younger, uh, a smaller, younger business, or even before Twig had become a business, we definitely were talking to other vendors in our area just at weddings, being like, hey, wow, um, great job, Mr. DJ, and I'd like to work with you. Here's my business card. Now, again, I'm starting very small, and I'm going to grow this, but that's a simple business connection you can do. Now I can take that one step further, and I have their business card, and I've edited these pictures. Maybe I took a couple of pictures on the dance floor or of the DJ doing his thing, and they're like these really awesome pictures that people really like. Now I can go ahead and I can say, hey, Mr. DJ, here's this gallery I sent to you. Now, the old school of thought, the old way of thinking on this pre-social media was charge, pay the artist. That was the, if you, it's a, it's a, it's a popular phrase that people talk about, like, oh, don't ever give your stuff away for free. And yet that's complete bullshit in the, in the, in the current media. And the reason it's bullshit is because one, everybody's giving it away. And two, if they're not giving it away, nobody's going to pay for it because they can find a way to get it for free. Trying right. to monetize that picture and commercialize it. And we've heard photographers like, yeah, I'll sell it to you for without rights for $500. Nobody's going to pay for it. Nobody's right. going to pay for it because everybody has a camera in their pocket right now that can take a halfway decent picture and can do what people are looking for. I'm not looking to make money on those images. This is literally, I consider this marketing dollars. It doesn't cost me anything, but marketing time and dollars to say, now, Mr. DJ, here's some images. Have them. And now that DJ is going to remember that he got something free for me. And that may convert to something in the future. That may not. I understand that a DJ may not be in the upstream channel to recommend me to a wedding, but he's certainly not going to forget that. He's certainly going to talk to me, talk about me positively to their clients. But now take that one step further. Let's say I shot a beautiful wedding at a venue that I've never shot at and I talked to the owner. Your wedding was absolutely beautiful. This place was beautiful. I loved it. Can I have your card? Hey, now I've I've created an in-person relationship. Now I'm going to send them a gallery. Now what I can do is I can even and take that one step further. And I've done this for lots of local venues, but even venues now outside of Wisconsin that we love shooting at, we can go ahead and assemble a product, an album. I could do my fancy albums and it might cost me a couple hundred dollars to do it. Or I could do a simple marketing album, like a flip book or something smaller for like, you know, uh, 20 bucks, 30 bucks, 50 bucks. And I just send it to them for free. Now at their venue, they have a tangible product. It costs them no money. It showcases their venue. And my name is on that. The right. amount, the sheer amount of referrals that we've gotten from local venues just because we're on the preferred lender, because we just take care of our vendors is astronomical. Now, part of it is, is that our pictures, they don't suck. I'm not sending them pictures of like, you know, crap, but you wouldn't be even surprised about the number of images. They're just happy to have them. Right. Um, but having a well cohesive product that shows people and showcases stuff to your vendors, that is huge. And yet it even goes further than that. Once you start getting that established now, 
we start sending out product packaging um, to our clients. And when in there, you were including a USB. But what we do is we actually, here in Sun Prairie, there's a couple of shops that are, you know, they produce beautiful candles. They make really cool little vintage things, um, coffee-stained um, uh, trinkets and whatever, and these Etsy shops. Now we've built a relationship with them, and we buy in bulk um, all these little cool little trinkety kind of tchotchke kind of things that we can now put into a box. Now we've built up a, a local relationship with another vendor that's not necessarily in the photography industry, but knows that we do photography that uses their products, and they are just wonderfully happy to, to share that. We now get a discount. They now have that. They wow. now talk about us. And so that's where it really gets to the next level, is where you're starting to connect to other businesses outside of photography that still refer you. It's not the weird, like, old model business-to-business groups that refer to you. It's literally people that are in the same mindset of running a small business. It yeah. could be a salon down the street that you always recommend your clients to go to. Um, it could be a, uh, a local clothes vendor that you're like, hey, I really want to partner with you to have some great outfits for my clients. Mm-hmm. It's those little things, boots on the ground, that if I'm a beginning photographer and I have lots of time to do, I am making those connections. And those are infinitesimally more concrete and more solid than anything you're going to get in social media. Where with social media, you're literally just trying to shotgun and catch as many people as right, possible right, right. because your conversions are so low. Here, you're getting this small populace of people, but you have these really strong in-person relationships. And that, that, was, that is so much more powerful. What's good to leverage, what I'm here, there's, here's a lot of really good advice here, um, is there's one thing, be, of course, start in like the, in the wedding industry. Oh, that, that's a no brainer. But I think it's, it's leaning on typically, if, as long as you are starting with value, starting with a gift and always coming at this with what can I do to help my a fellow business owner, a fellow small business owner, that is a, I think that, that bond, um, that, that comp, that shared experience of, Hey, we both own businesses in this small businesses in this community. Mm-hmm. That is it. That oftentimes an, is enough to break the ice as long as you're coming at it with authenticity and generosity with like, yeah. Hey, how's it going? Like, how can I help your business? And not ex- immediately expecting something in return. Um, some, some photographers I love, I absolutely believe, agree with create, taking the time who investing the hundred dollars, the $200 for a print album. A lot of photographers are taking the, the sticky album template and, and you're just sh- shifting your mind a little bit and saying, okay, I've got all of these great images. Um, and guess what? A lot of small businesses in your community are terrible at their web presence is terrible mm-hmm. and they don't have anything. They don't have really good, any portfolio online. You can make a custom sticky album and instead of putting your brand and your logo on top, you can demote that, put it down at the bottom of the page, but make a sticky album that really showcases and putting contact information and phone number of that small business, of that venue, of that florist or whatever it might be. And and just like you said, you get that awesome they're, – they're going to talk to you or talk about you after you do something that thoughtful. Yeah, it blows my mind how many times we get referrals from like non-photography things where people, you know, we act, it's actually one of those things that's really useful to put on our page is to say, hey, where did you hear about us or talking to people? Yeah. And people are like, oh yeah, no, is the florist down the street or, you know, my friend worked with, you know, the, 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 uh, clothing shop, you know, down in whatever state or whatever. And it, it is, it's, it's so important to remember that. Some of these things don't have immediate returns. It's not like you're going to, because you did that today, it doesn't mean tomorrow you're making more money or even next week or next month, but it's that residual over time. It's, it's literally like the perfect example of compounded interest over time that builds that marketing presence. And, and if you never stop, it really never stops growing. Totally. Well, Doug, this has been amazing. Um, if, uh, listeners, you can tell Doug and I both have share a passion for education. And when you, uh, it's such an awesome thing to tap into an uh, uh, awesome business mind, a successful, thriving business that's eager, just as eager to continue running their successful business as they are to share it with other photographers. And in the last couple of years, Doug and their, his partners have started an education part of their business where they are doing just that. So in the links um, in this show notes and in the blog post, 
make sure to go check out their different courses. You guys, you can um, tell us a little bit about the different courses. But first of all, um, I worked with them to put together a first of its kind freebie where you can get um, some of their actions or awesome actions totally free just to get a sampling of of their tools and their education. So Doug, thank you so much for that. And tell us a little bit about more about what it is you guys like to teach and some of the things available um, on your yeah, site. I, I like, I like how I got strong armed by Nate. He's like, you're going to offer something for free. I'm like, uh, uh, uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> um, no, that it's, it's completely uh, true. We wanted to do this. It is first of a kind. It's not something we've done before, but we're going to offer into your listeners. Um, one of the things that we're known for is our actions and presets, um, something we developed here a while ago and we continue to develop beautiful actions that are, that are different in the industry um, that are much more focused on contrast and beautiful colors and richness and warmth and colors. And we're going to put together a pack that includes one preset from each of our most recent uh, Lightroom presets. And um, there will be, again, mechanisms for you guys to be able to view those and download those um, in the instructions. What we like to teach, uh, we do in-person workshops. So on our website, we actually have a calendar called Travel Calendar. And you can click and you can highlight over the map uh, for the U.S. If it's outside the U.S., we've got locations like come to Australia, Netherlands, England. We're planning a trip to Germany, etc. Um, and, and you can find where we're going to be at and where we're going to be teaching in-person workshops. And one of the things we're doing different moving forward, 2018, we used to kind of um, be like, oh, you know, we're going we're gonna to set a, a particular schedule. We're actually opening it up so that um, because we're so dedicated to this idea of like, we're done teaching when we're done teaching. It's, it's not really a workshop that's based on X number of hours. It's based on Y number of experiences or Y number of things that we really want to show you. And our workshops te- talk about this trifecta. It talks about the idea of how to run a business. Um, the, the absolute essentials of studio management software, um, and how big a deal shoot queue is for us and integrated to what we're going to be doing. Um, it talks about, and we go over a very much in depth workflow. We go over customer experience before, during, and after the session. We go after, um, the actual product and how we shoot and how we think about all these things connecting together. So we have in-person workshops for that. And we also have our online e-workshop series. Um, this was a labor of love with a lot of blood, sweat, tears, and probably swearing and alcohol that allowed us to produce a, uh, um, an online workshop series that you can download and view on our website, and it is a it is what we consider to be the most complete e-workshop out there. Uh, we did our research, and it's not just a pretty lookbook, it's not just a how-to guide, it's videos, it's documents, it's everything that you need to have to um, really improve your business from a uh, from all three aspects that trifecta in terms of um, uh, what you need to be to be successful. Wow, Doug, this has been such an educational um, hour. I've had so much fun learning from you. Um, thank you for the special freebie. Everybody check the links below. There's special discounts. One thing I'll add, and as, as you guys all know, I'm a huge believer in software plus education, where if you just try to jump into software by itself, you're most likely going to have challenges. But when you marry it with somebody else's proven methodology and best practices, um, that's where magic happens. So if you're considering taking on studio management, I think it's easy to think, oh, I'm buried in this and that. It's so hard to manage all of my um, day-to-day. I'm going to go get a studio management tool. That alone, I believe, is not going to solve your problems. You first need to to change the way you run your business. And in, in... Use a system that's working already, that's proven, and then and then finally finding a software tool that will let you implement those best practices. So if you're thinking about um, doing studio management, I would recommend grabbing a training from Twig and Olive and then using that as the foundation on which you layer a studio management tool on top of. Um, that's great advice. Uh, well, thank you so much, Doug. I look forward to chatting again someday. This has been super fun. Uh, Good. You have an awesome. Well, thank you so much for having us. We appreciate the podcast and all of your efforts that you do for photographers. And, and it seems like we share a lot of the same things. So that was really cool. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you, man. All right. You'll have a good rest of your day.